Good morning, this beautiful morning in Ballakinwood, Pennsylvania. I am Mark Bernstein. This is Founders Forum. I'm here with my co-host, Ange Honorado. How are you today, Ange? I am good, Mark. I'm uh, a little scratchy-throated here still for the last month and a half, but uh, we're here and we're going to get through it. Uh, yeah, me, me too. So, so to all of you out there, it is a beautiful day, and as we know in springtime in Philadelphia and other places, it's allergy season. So we both have pollen going on and trees and blossoms and all that kind of stuff in our systems. So excuse the raspy voices. I hope we won't have to cough on the mic, but we're going to try not to do that. I just got over a big cough yesterday. I couldn't speak at all. But anyway, it's all good. Let's move on. Um, We uh, always like to start with a thought for the week, and I was reading a famous quote that um, last night in regard to something else I was doing, and it was, success is a journey, not a destination. You've all heard that in one form or another. And there's another saying that that I hear a lot, And I heard it a lot, as did our guest today, from a guy named Dan Sullivan, who is the strategic coach of his company. And he talks about progress. Dan Sullivan talks about progress, not perfection. And I looked that up to see who originated that, because I don't think he originated it. And it's attributed to all kinds of people and in all different versions. And my favorite one that I found was uh, by Winston Churchill, which is uh, perfection is the enemy of progress which that makes it really clear what's going on. So with that, do you have any thoughts on that subject, Ange? I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think the idea, and I like to take that concept one step further, something that has been taught to me by some of my, my mentors recently, which is perfect, it doesn't need to be perfect. So sometimes done is better than perfect. And what that means is I think a lot of times we end up preventing stepping into our gifts or bringing things out into the world because we're waiting for one more thing or waiting to fix one last thing or waiting for it to be perfect. And sometimes we just have to do the work. We just have to put it into the world and then we can tweak it and modify it. Getting stuck in that perfection loop is, uh, that can be the death of any innovation, any creativity. So I've experienced that quite a bit in my own life. And I'll say on success is a journey, not a destination, that that certainly has been true in my life. Um, And we know that so along the way, you have to have failures. You have to um, stumble. You have to go. Sometimes it's one step forward, two steps back, because that's where you learn the most, in my opinion, and for most people that I've talk, talked to. And that certainly has been true in my career and my and the businesses I've established, et cetera. So with that, I'd like to introduce our guest today, Ray Lowe, who is officially called the luckiest guy in the world. And... Uh, Before I give you a little more of his background, I'll go back to that, but i just ask Ray to weigh in on the subject that we're talking about right now. I know he has thoughts. Morning, Ray. On progress? You mean mean that stuff that interrupts my nap time? (laughs) I'm I'm an old guy now, Mark, okay? But no, I agree with you 100%. 81, a couple weeks ago, I understand. Yeah, and and I feel it every morning sometimes, but uh, but life is good. So uh, no, this whole concept of progress, not perfection, is really key to I think most people. And if it's not, it should be because uh, uh, nothing works right a hundred percent of the time. In fact, sometimes if we can make it work fifty one percent, I think we're doing pretty good. And and so failure is a part of. Uh, 
my life. I'm, you know, when we get into some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, you'll see. And, uh, and, uh, you have to, um, you have to understand that everything isn't going to go right all the time. And I guess that's where I had to stop. I don't have anything more to say. Well, very good. Well, so with that, I'll give a little more of an introduction to Ray. So Ray and I met um, years ago, <laughs> a lot of years ago. Is that your raspy voice saying that? or was uh, that just... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, something got in my throat then. But um, it was uh, in the 80s, I'll tell you that much. And we, we were young in the financial services business together, part of the same sort of umbrella organization. And we were at a school together, and there was a picture taken of our class. And I just came upon that picture cleaning out some files a couple weeks ago and sent Ray the picture and as he noted, we both had a fair amount of hair then, if not a full head of hair. We had a lot of hair, and that's that's changed. But other than that, and then Ray and I talked sporadically for 25 years, and then this is a great story. About 10 years ago, maybe a little more than that now, I was on a plane coming from California in first class with my wife, and I kept hearing this voice behind me, and I'm like, I know that voice from somewhere. And I turned around and I looked and I said, nope, don't know that guy. So, <laughs> so then we, we get up, we're starting to get off the plane. And I looked again and I saw Ray and his wife, Sandy. And then I go, that is Ray Lowe. I said, Ray Lowe. So anyway, we got together, found out we were both in the strategic coach program. And I joined his group because I wasn't officially in a group at that point. We started to getting together pretty often and we've been getting together pretty regularly for a number of years now. Ray's been a big influence on me and some changes I've made in my uh, business life and also kind of given me some inspiration and courage to do something like this because I've been on Ray's podcast and co-hosted with him in the past. And he's been a great influence. And uh, Ray founded, um, not long after we were together back then, a company called the Financial Resources Network which he sold, and he'll tell you a little bit more about that. And he also started a company, a specialty of his, called College Money. I don't think we'll get a lot into that today, but Ray was known nationally. He was often quoted in the Wall Street Journal and Barron's and different publications like that for his work there. And then he sold his practice, and from there I'll let Ray tell you the story. So would you like to begin, Ray? Well, let's go back a little bit because uh... – uh, you know, your comment on progress, not perfection, fits into uh, what happened in my life early in the game. Uh, uh, I got out of the Wharton School with my MBA, and I went to work for a large public accounting firm. And then after that, I joined two friends of mine from Wharton who had started their own consulting business. And to make a long story short, uh, the two principals got into a fight. Uh, they got forced out of the company by the stockholders, and I wound up being president of a company I didn't own, okay? And all of a sudden, I did this double take because I said, do I really want to be here or not? So you you look at it, and it's both a success and a failure that, that occurred here, and it's what lend itself into me starting my own firm in the financial services business after a stint with the insurance business and a couple of other things that, that we kind of both went through, Mark. Um, and um, it was the best thing I ever did. It was, it was one of those things where I had 45 years of owning my own company, controlling my own life, uh, having my own clients. And by the way, these, these weren't clients after a while. These were best friends. And, uh, 
and it took real good care of me during that 45-year period of time. And uh, then there are a couple things that, again, continuing your your progress, not perfection kind of a thing. Uh, maybe we can get into talking a little bit about uh, practice retirement and also planning ahead to sell your business, which is as important as founding it, I think. Excellent. And where would you like to take it from here? Well, actually, I know I, you have some thoughts. Yeah, m- many, many, Ray. Uh, we, way more than we'll probably have time for today. But on that last piece that you just mentioned there saying, you know, planning to sell your business is just as important as starting it and founding it. And I think that's a really important concept because a lot of people don't think of that. They just think I'm going to start a business. I'm going to, you know, make a ton of money and it's going to kind of live on in perpetuity or um but I think that just having that idea, whether someone does want to sell their business or not, but just always operating towards the fact that you're creating value in your business from day one, right? So if you, uh, I'm thinking of John Warlow's concept of, of value builders. I don't know if that's something that you're familiar with, but it's ensuring that your business has the foundations to be valuable at any point in time so that when you turn that switch, if you want to sell it or do other things with it, it's there. So we for could you, sum that up if you as as your exit strategy. Exactly um, right. Wh- Having an exit is. strategy from the very well, beginning. So how did that well, let me, come into play for you? Yeah, let me tell you kind of what went in through my head. So uh, I had an advisory board, and uh, they keep telling me that I've got to think ahead about what I'm going to do when I retire. Uh, Mark and I both agree that retirement is an awful word and should be banned from the English language, but maybe we'll get there. Uh, but here's what happened. I originally didn't want to sell my business. I I was thinking I'd still be in that business today. And, and frankly, the financial services business is one that lends itself to that. But if you care about your clients, uh, something pops up. I, I mean, uh, my clients were willing to put up with me. I'm now in my 80s, as Mark said. I could still be a financial advisor there. But what happens on the day that you're uh, secretary or your office staff calls your clients and say, we just put Ray in the mental institution. Okay. And it's time to find a new financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And when these people are your friends, uh, do you really want them to do that when they're in their mid eighties or nineties and have to go through that? So we went through a 10 year period of time because uh, again, these people became my friends and I wasn't going to sell the practice to anybody. So it took me 10 years to find two guys whose philosophy I agreed with. And then it took another couple of years to work together to transition into this. And then the third piece that was interesting is I was going to work with them afterwards. And then we found when we had client meetings, the clients didn't want to talk to the new guys. They wanted to talk to me. So we had to get out of there and we had to find a way of just permanently making that transition. And then the problem is, okay, so now you've done that. What are you going to do for the rest of your life? Right. By the way, you said they should ban the word retirement. You and I have talked about this, but I'd love to say instead of retirement, refirement or aspirement, you know. Something well, that can, can can we talk about practice retirement a little bit? Sure, let's do it. Okay, I think I think this is one of the things that you're in the middle of, and I certainly am a big proponent of. You know, uh, one of the problems that most people have is how do you go to work every day and be a 
hard-charging executive-type person. You know, you're solving problems, you're working ahead, and then all of a sudden, one day, you just say, okay, I'm not there anymore, okay? And we found that we had people with millions of dollars put in retirement accounts, and they said they hated their jobs, but they wouldn't leave. They wouldn't move because what they were going to move into was uncomfortable. It was the unknown. So one of the things that Sandy and I, and Sandy is my wife of uh, 58 years, and Mark, she'll tell you that she is the reason I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I would have to agree with her on that, Ray. But but, um, we were fortunate to start about 20 years before we retired and started traveling and started taking blocks of time off so that when we actually got to the point where that that uh, kind of permanent line came when you're not retirement, but when you're leaving one thing and moving on to another thing. Okay, we were somewhat prepared to do that. And it's one of the things that I would recommend everybody do. So, Ray, um, I know you're a future looking guy. We are talking about this. We're not spending a lot of time talking about the past nor do we like to do that. And you're talking about forward. And I asked you, and we ask all our guests, do they want to talk about their one-year vision, their three-year vision, their 10-year vision? I know that you have a 25-year plan, which is interesting in and of itself. So why don't we talk about why you have a 25-year plan and what that is? And we may have, we may have to interrupt that a little bit for a quick break, but let's start that conversation. Yeah. So what are you trying to kill me off early? I'm only 81, Mark. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you, you got to think ahead. And and this is something that I learned from our friend Dan Sullivan is that I, I think you always have to have a plan going forward. And I run into people who say, how can you do that? You're old. You know, it's, you're not going to get there. Well, I think one of the best things in the world is to have a whole bunch of unfinished projects. And so if you die suddenly, guess what? People are going to miss you. So back to our theme, the it's, you're always in the middle of progress that way. Yeah, always. Okay, so uh, uh, this is an important thing to me. And uh, one of the things that we did when we left uh, the financial services business is we created or, or maybe moved ahead on this concept of the luckiest people in the world. And real quick, the definition of that is the luckiest people in the world are those people who understand that they're individuals and capitalize on that individuality to design their own lives and live them the way they want to live them. Love that. That's great. And um, I've been on, you have some, some calls, some weekly calls, coffee clashes and things like that. That and I've been on some of those, and I see that those are, that many of those people are actually the luckiest people in the world, and I consider myself one of those as well. I think it's time for a quick break. Hi, I'm Vivica Fox. For more than 100 years, American Humane has been helping our best friends in their worst times during hurricanes, tornadoes, and increasingly wildfires. They're real heroes to these animals. But Mother Nature isn't the only danger that animals face. Sometimes it's human nature that's the greatest threat. Each year, more than six million beautiful adoptable animals are being abandoned and more than a million are euthanized before they can be rescued. These animals need heroes too. 
Heroes to open up their hearts and homes and to give them the love they deserve. Be a hero to an animal in need. Consider becoming an American Humane Rescue Volunteer or adopt from your local shelter. Visit AmericanHumane.org to find out how you can be a hero and help our best friends in their worst times. So welcome back to Founders Forum. I'm here. I'm Mark Bernstein. I'm here with Ann John Arado and our guest this week, a very special guest, uh, Ray Lowe, who is the luckiest guy in the world. And we were just talking about that brand, Ray, and we're beginning to talk about your 25-year vision. Uh, would you like to go into that a little bit more detail? Yeah, let me let me pick on Ange since you have a gravelly voice this morning. Ah, over here thank a little you. Bit. I appreciate you know, that. Well, while we were prepping for this call, we were talking a little bit about her interest in uh, the psychology of business and the psychology of changing jobs and things like that. And, uh, uh, you know, there are a couple of myths that I got hit with early in my life, and I imagine you guys did too. I had an elementary school teacher, and she was one of my favorite teachers. And she said, Ray, you're you're lucky. I guess maybe that was the hint of the luckiest guy in the world thing. But, but she said, uh, you can be anything you want to be, and you can do anything you want to do. All you have to do is keep working on your weaknesses. <laughs> so I want to throw that back to Mark. You know, how do you feel about that statement? I hate that statement. <laughs> <laughs> and Ange, what do you think? I mean, you've been studying this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think there's definitely a. It's a good example of of knowing when to use the right words, the right vernacular to get your point across. Um, I like the concept of working on the things. You know, Michael Jordan, the great example there, right? He worked on the thing that he was not the strongest in. And that became his greatest strength and unique ability, which is another Dan Sullivan concept, right, is developing that unique ability. But coming at it from a negative perspective of your weakness doesn't really enlist a lot of excitement from me or the person in, engaging in it, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I suspect that Michael Jordan, when he worked on that, that was really one of his hidden strengths to begin with. And he just hadn't developed it yet. Uh, but uh, I wound up uh, taking this seriously, and I'll tell you, I have a whole lot of really strong weaknesses. <laughs> the problem is that they don't help you move forward, and I think the Gallup people talk about strengths all the time and how you got to capitalize on your strengths. But um, uh, I want to go back for a minute and talk about this. You can do anything you want. And, uh, you know, I think that should have been said, this is America so that you have the freedom to try to do anything you want. But I found that when I'm working on areas that are not part of who I am, I get frustrated and I don't make the progress that I want to make in other areas. And, and so we've developed this afterwards, uh, after I sold my business, and actually we started before, this whole concept of the luckiest people in the world. And again, the luckiest people in the world are those people that understand who they are and develop those strengths. And that allows them to move into becoming the luckiest people in the world and living their lives under their own terms the way they want. And isn't that what we all want? I mean, uh, I, I know from talking to Mark all the time that he is constantly redeveloping and rethinking his business to tweak it 
so that he gets more enjoyment and more pleasure out of it. And he's continually amplifying those strengths that are within him to take more advantage of them to do what he does best now. So Mark is definitely one of the luckiest people in the world. And Ange, I think you are too. Yeah. Well, okay. I think my wife is listening. So I'm going to say uh, that's one of the reasons I'm the luckiest guy in the world too, because of who, who, who I partnered with. So you're lucky and smart, Mark. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sometimes anyway. So, um, I do want to say on this on this unique ability thing, Michael Jordan, I think that's true. I think what he did is he went into some self-discovery, found out a hidden talent or, or a unique ability that he didn't really know he had, and he worked on that. I do know that, you know, Dan Sullivan likes to say, you know, Frank Sinatra didn't move pianos. Mm-hmm. You know, all he does is go out there and sing. Everybody else does everything else. And I think well, that- and- yeah. And personally, Mark, I wanted to be a professional basketball player, but I'm 5'8 at best. <laughs> and I keep shrinking every year. And I think my chances of being a pro with the 76ers are pretty well gone. Right. <laughs> so you have to recognize reality in some cases as well, I, I assume, is, is, is the deal. Ray, um, I didn't mention before that your background, you were an engineering major at Penn and then went on to get an MBA at Wharton. How did those, how did that background and that education influence what you did in your career and where you are today and where you're going in the future. I think they, those had some impact. I'd like to hear about that. Well, well, some of this has to do with luck again. Uh, uh, one of my problems was I was the first person in my family to go to college. So I had no concept of what to do and where to go. And I, I walked up to a guidance counselor and, and he looked at me and he said, you're good at math. You ought to be an engineer. So what did I know now uh, to tell you the truth uh, I never, ever, ever should have been an engineer. Hmm. Okay. And I got through three years of college hoping it was going to get better. And then finally I had to bite the bullet and say, I don't have money. I have to finish this off and get a job and do something. Uh, but uh, I th- I think it's one of the things that we learn. Uh, we learn from mistakes that we make. I can't say it was totally a mistake because the training I got was pretty good. Uh, The Wharton experience uh, helped in a different way. Uh, Wharton really is very much a networking uh, type of education. It's who you meet uh, and uh, it gives you an opportunity to open doors and talk to people. And all that kind of comes back to where I am now. Can I talk about my podcast for about two minutes? Absolutely. I think Am I allowed to do that? I, absolutely, because I because I think people will learn from you talking about your podcast. Well, well, we started we started a podcast uh, about three and a half years ago, and actually we we did a TV show before that, and the TV show was called Breaking the Rules, and and we found out that COVID hit, and that uh, TV doesn't really work that well on Zoom. Okay, so we kind of shifted over to the podcasting area. And and the purpose of our podcast was to kind of help me help the people. Let me let me back up again for a second. I my mission is I firmly believe that people are unique and that it's that uniqueness that has to be developed. And when you really take advantage of who you are, that's when you flourish and do the best. And most of us don't take the time to do that. So on Changing the Rules, our podcast, one of the things that we do is we bring people in to talk about how you find out what your unique qualities are and how do you develop them so that you have a chance to to rethink the way you want to run your life. 
And the changing the rules thing comes in in an interesting way. Um, uh, you know, most people are saddled with rules all through our lives. Okay. I, I don't know if you guys had this happen, but my parents gave me rules. My school gave me rules. The church gave me rules. And, you know, after a while, those aren't necessarily the rules that you want to have to move forward. And um, I think um, one of the things that we try to do on our on our podcast at the same time is to interview people who have changed their rules, who have invented their own lives and who can serve as role models. So we have those two pieces. Who are you and what are you about? And then how do you handle it? Okay, so I'm excited about doing that. And that's what we try and do to help people move ahead. It gives people a chance to rethink their lives. And we have people well into their 80s and 90s that I live with in my community. They're changing their lives every day. Ray, I think that's so exciting. And it's, you know, so powerful to be able to do that and to have people in their 70s, 80s, 90s looking at the future and thinking what else they can do. I know Ange has one closing question for you, and we're could because we're running out of time. Yeah, Ray, I think this has been so enlightening on, on, I think there's three more podcasts built into just the last five minutes of what you shared in terms of an area that's interesting to me and, and a real passion, which is, you know, generations, so generational uh, wealth, uh, you know, healing, all of that kind of stuff. So one important question, I think, is as you're talking about this is, Talk a little bit about your legacy. You know, what? how do you see that? What's it, beyond the financial piece and what you want to leave behind? What, what What do you want to be thought of when people think of, you know, Ray Lowe's legacy to the world? Well, I, I think that, uh, well, let me turn that around. I have this fear that people are going to put on my tombstone, he was a nice guy. <laughs> and I don't think that's where I want to go. I think the idea is that you want to be a person who affects changes in other people. At least that's what my idea is. I want to help people take that stuff that they have within them and let it come out and help them live more exciting lives because they're taking advantage of who they are. So, uh, yeah, and I'd love to have you guys come on Changing the Rules sometime, and we'll pick this up for a different audience. Absolutely. So, um Thanks much, guys. I, this has been fun. Ray, thanks so much for being here. It's always a great experience to be talking with you, and I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of this conversation. And it and it's one of the issues with a half-hour show, there's a lot more we could talk about. So we will continue in the future for sure. Yep. Um, thank you all for being here. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy this wonderful weather in the Philadelphia area. And we are signing off. <laughs>